Hi, my name's Clayton, and you're listening to the Isaiah 43 podcast, where we explore how God has formed us, redeemed us, and how He calls us today. Each week, we will journey through Scripture to understand all that God has done and what exactly His call is for our lives today. This is week 43. This Bible study week, we examine Scripture and its application to our lives. Now, for this week, I initially had something else planned, and while we will eventually go over that, I wanted to do a different topic today. Two weeks ago, we covered a question I got a lot since I began teaching Bible studies. So I thought this week we would cover another question that I have also gotten often. How can I know God's will for my life, but even more so, how can I know it's God's will or voice and not my own? That is something that I have often asked myself, and I'm sure you have asked yourself the same thing, especially when facing a big decision or something like that in your life. It's very easy for us to allow our thoughts and emotions to do all the talking. While these two are essentially two different questions, they're very closely linked to one another. So I wanted to dive into them simultaneously this week. As we go through today's study, we'll see how just how closely they are linked with one another. So to make sure that we can know God's will for our lives and how we know that we are listening to what God is saying and not our own thoughts, we have to turn to prayer. So let us pray. Father, I thank you for all that you do, Father. I glorify you for for this moment, Lord. I would thank you that you have allowed us to come together for this long, Lord. And Lord, I just I just thank you for your mercies and your grace, Lord. We are so undeserving and yet you are so good to us. You are you are far better to us than we could possibly deserve in a million lifetimes, Lord God. But we thank you and we praise you and we glorify you and we seek this opportunity to grow closer to you, God. I know a lot of us struggle with wanting to know what your will is, Father, but we know that you have told us what your will is and you have revealed to us how we can grow closer to you. And God, that just shows how how awesome you are and how gracious you truly are that you allow us the opportunity to draw near to you to humble ourselves so that we may see your face, Lord. And Lord, I just pray that through this study you will speak to those who are listening and you will reveal yourself to them, Lord God. And I pray that you will use me as an instrument of your will, Father. And I pray that you will always use me as an instrument of your will, Lord God. And I pray whoever is listening will also be an instrument that you can use to share your message with so many others, Lord God. Please be with us, lead us, and guide us so that we may glorify you in all things. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. All right, the first question we have set out to answer today is, how can we know God's will for our lives? And so, to answer that question, we have to take a look into Scripture. We have to examine Scripture and what it has to say. As always, we will be reading from the ESV or the English Standard Version. Let's start this Bible study week by reading 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, Verses 3 through 7. For this is the will of God, your sanctification, that you abstain from sexual immorality, that each of you, one of you know how to control his own body in holiness and honor, not in the passion of lust like the Gentiles who do not know God, that no one transgress and wrong his brother in this matter, because the Lord is an avenger in all these things, as we told you beforehand and solemnly warned you. For God has not called us for impurity, but in holiness. 
So one of the immediate things that we see when examining what Scripture reveals to us is that we are to abstain from sexual immorality. I mean, seemingly above everything else, the Apostle Paul says, Hey, this is God's will for your life. Do not commit sexual immorality. Of course, we know that is not the only thing in God's will for us, but that is one of the biggest things God tells us not to do. This call to abstain from sexual immorality echoes throughout the entire Bible. We've scratched the surface of this topic in other episodes, and we are very closely told, clearly told rather, that this goes against God's will for our lives. But there is another point that I wanted to introduce here. As we see here from these verses, what we do with the free will that God allows us to have is very important. The mark of a faithful Christian is that they want to serve God and glorify Him. They do not want to disappoint Him and will not stay in sin because they know it is not pleasing to God. Yet, we are still flawed, and we will fall into sin. That is without question. However, that is not a free ticket to go out and sin as we want. I have often found that the people who cry out the most for wanting to know God's will are the same ones who are struggling with some kind of sin. This may not always be the case, but I would argue that the majority of the time, it is. There may be a sin of sexual immorality, jealousy, hatred, pride, lying, or simply something else. Then when things get tough in life, or they're faced with a life-changing decision, people immediately begin struggling that they do not know what God wants. They get frustrated and angry or sad and depressed. We see a correlation between lifestyle and holiness. To communion with God, you must live out the holiness God commands. It just makes sense if we sin and do things contrary to what God's holy scriptures have told us, then we will not feel close to God. I believe that true Christians will eventually recognize that they are not as close to God as they should be and will continue to aspire to grow closer to God once again. But again, lifestyle and our decisions are crucial. Let's examine some more scripture that further highlights this point. We don't have to go very far for us to find it. Let's jump over to 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verses 12-22. through 22. We ask you, brothers, to respect those who labored among you and are over you in the Lord and admonish you, and to esteem them very highly in love because of their work. Be at peace among yourselves. And we urge you, brothers, admonish the idle, encourage the faint-hearted, help the weak, be patient with them all, see that no one repays anyone for e evil for evil, but always seek to do good to one another and to everyone. Rejoice always, pray without ceasing. Give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. Do not quench the spirit. Do not despise prophecies, but test everything. Hold fast what is good. Abstain from every form of evil. In these verses from chapter 5, Paul outlines what we should be doing. He tells us more and more what the will of God is for our lives. Paul outlines things that I was talking about earlier. If we're doing these things, we will grow closer to God. When we're closer to God, we will know what He has in store for us. If we are living in sin, we will be further separated from God. But more on that later. While these verses may, may, may not be a complete checklist, they are a central list of everything we should be doing to grow in Christ. While speaking on the will of God, I think there is something else that we need to know. Overall, in a very generalized sense, the will of God for your life is to repent of your sins and trust in God. But very often, we want to know specific details. We want to know names, dates, places, times, and details. 
We want to know who we will marry, if our kids are going to be okay, what school we should attend, where we will work, and everything else. But God doesn't work that way, as lovely as that would be. There's one more verse I would like us to look at while we're here on the subject of God's will for our lives. Let's flip our Bibles to 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 15. For this is the will of God, that by doing good you should put to silence the ignorance of foolish people. Peter tells us here in these verses that the will of God for our lives is that by doing good things that bring glory to God, we will silence ignorant people who mock and criticize our faith. It may seem a bit harsh, but as John Calvin writes, quote, For he, Simon Peter, not only calls the unbelieving foolish, but also points out the reason why they slandered, because they were ignorant of God. But as he makes the unbelieving to be without understanding and reason, we conclude that a right understanding cannot exist without the knowledge of God. How much the unbelieving may boast of their own acuteness and may seem to themselves to be very wise and prudent, the Spirit of God charges them with folly, in order that we may know that apart from God, we cannot be really wise, as without Him there is nothing perfect. But He means that no occasion of slandering ought to be given to the unbelieving, however much they, the unbeliever, may desire it. And lest anyone should further object and say that the unbelieving are by no means worthy of so much regard that God's children should form their lives to please them, Peter explicitly reminds us that we are bound by God's command to shut up their mouths. Now, Calvin reminds us that without proper knowledge of God, there truly is no wisdom and understanding. If the wives of this world are genuinely foolish if they do not believe in the God of the Bible. This is not an unbiblical view. Additionally, in his writing, Calvin tells us that the unbeliever should never have a reason to slander a true believer because of the virtuous, God-honoring life that we should be living. And for anyone who says that we shouldn't have to live in a way that leaves unbelievers without a thing to say, Calvin reminds us that Peter explicitly told us that this is God's will. Now, as we move on from asking what is God's will for my life, to how do I know God is speaking and not my own voice, we need to remember that our life, our sanctification, our connection with God is dependent on the way that we are living. The more we live in sin, the more we will be away from God. God must transform and change our minds so that he, we may know that he, what he's trying to tell us. We have to be immersed in scripture for that to happen. So now, let's turn to Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. Paul again speaks very plainly to us. If we want to know what the good and perfect will of God is, then we need to have our minds renewed. They need to be transformed into Christ. Present your bodies has a lot to do with sexual immorality as well, but we won't dive into that too much right now since we covered it earlier. Nonetheless, when we want to know if it is God's voice or our own, we need to have a renewed mind. Our minds need to be focused on Scripture and the things above. We need to be in prayer and fellowship with one another. This is how our minds are renewed. And as we will see through Scripture, we will have a path illuminated that will reveal it 
if it is simply God speaking or just our thoughts and emotions speaking. We'll jump to 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verses 9-16 through 16, as we seek to learn more about this. But as it is written, What no eye has seen, nor ear heard, nor the heart of man imagined, what God has prepared for those who love him. These things God has revealed to us through the Spirit. For the Spirit searches everything, even the depths of God. For who knows a person's thoughts except the spirit of that person which is in him? So also no one comprehends the thoughts of God except the Spirit of God. Now we have received not the Spirit of the world, but the Spirit who is from God, that we might understand the things freely given us by God. And we impart this in words not taught by human wisdom, but taught by the Spirit, interpreting spiritual truths to those who are spiritual. The natural person does not accept the things of the Spirit of God, for they are folly to him. And he is not able to understand them because they are spiritually discerned. The spiritual person judges all things, but is himself to be judged by no one. For who has understood the mind of the Lord so as to instruct him? But we have the mind of Christ. These verses show that God reveals things to us through the Holy Spirit. We learn what God is telling, trying to tell us as we are moved by the Spirit when we pray and read God's Word. When we do this, our minds are renewed and not conformed to this world. It transforms our minds and gives us the mind of Christ, who was in perfect communication and obedience to God the Father. This isn't just a little bit of prayer there, a little bit of Bible reading here, and bada bing, bada boom, we immediately have a new mind that perfectly knows everything and every plain as day word God reveals. That's not how that works. Imagine a bodybuilder for a second. They have massive, superhuman-sized muscles, right? They didn't get those muscles by just working out and eating right here and there. They constantly work out and diet. They are doing this repeatedly, and eventually, they're all bulked up. The same goes for us as Christians. We don't become deeply aware of God without knowing His Word, praying, and having our minds renewed. We need to keep the mentality that John the Baptist had when in John chapter 3, verse 30, he says, He must increase, but I must decrease. We will only know if God speaks to us if our minds are fully conformed to God's word. It is good for us to be entrenched in God's word and pray that it is all we are. It is who we become at our very core. James writes more about this in James chapter 4, verses 7 through 10. Let's go ahead and read that. Submit yourselves, therefore, to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Be wretched and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves before the Lord, and he will exalt you. James writes that when we humble ourselves and submit before God, he will draw close to us. We have nothing to fear or worry about when we are close to God. Scripture teaches us that that is the case. Look at Psalm 27, verse 1. The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the stronghold of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? Hearing God's voice and what He desires for you will be much easier when you focus on godly things. We cannot not know God's will for our lives, and we cannot know if God is pushing us in the direction He wants us to go unless we seek to grow close to Him. Again, I keep reiterating this, but reading your Bible is so important. Living it out in prayer and action is essential. That's the only way we grow in Christ. This brings me to another point that I want to make today. 
when we have a thought in our mind and begin to question if this is what God wants or if this is just what we want, then we need to test the idea in the light of Scripture. Psalm 119, verse 105 says, Your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. God's word, the Bible, reveals what God is trying to tell us. So when we have a thought that we are trying to figure out if it is what God is speaking or what we are speaking, we need to tie our thoughts to Scripture. Now, not every thought will have a direct correlation to something in Scripture, but we need to see if it holds up to what the Bible says. We can't dive into Scripture and pull out what we want it to say. We must always keep it in context. But we can test things. For example, let's say you have considered traveling to Japan to preach the gospel and build up the church there. You've been praying about it and thinking about it. Well, what could you tie it to in the Bible? No one says in the Bible, hey man, go to Japan and preach. You won't find that. But you will see Jesus give the Great Commission, where he tells us to go forth into all nations, making disciples and baptizing them. That is a good God-honoring thing. We have to remember, however, that God will not direct you in something contrary to Scripture. He will not, let's say, ever ask you to rob a bank or something like that. A wise preacher that I knew, or know rather, once said that the three ways to tell if God, it is God's will for you or life is if A, it is biblical because God would never contradict himself. B, it stays on your mind because thoughts and emotions change, but God does not. And C, you have a deeply rooted peace about it because any other peace would be quickly fading, but God's peace stays with you. I think this is very biblical advice. If you can say yes to all of these things, then I would say that you are on the right track to following God's will and knowing that this is what God wants and not just you. Now, I've already mentioned that you can see the will of God and you can understand what God is communicating to you by renewing your mind to Scripture and being in constant prayer. Yet I believe there's another aspect that needs to be examined. Those two are great things to be doing, but lastly, we must also have fellowship with other believers. It's been said before, and I will repeat it. There is no such thing as a lone wolf Christian. They don't exist. The Bible, again and again, emphasizes how important it is for fellowship with one another. Look at 1 John chapter 1, verse 7, for example. 1 John chapter 1, verse 7 says, But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus his Son cleanses us from all sin. Look, John writes that if we are in fellowship with one another and living in a godly manner, then Christ's blood washes away all of our sins. If we are alone, it's not good. As the Bible says, it is not good that man should be alone. He must be united with one another. We see this again in the book of Hebrews. So let's go jump over there to Hebrews chapter 10, verses 23 through 25. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering. For he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day drawing near. We cannot forget to meet and fellowship with one another. It is imperative because when we are with other mature, faithful believers, we will be stirred up to good works and encourage one another to grow in our love and adoration for Christ. When trying to understand what God is speaking and His will for your life, I recommend you talk with at least three other mature believers in Christ. You let them know what is going on, even if it's a simple, simple statement as, Hey, I'm thinking about this. What are your thoughts? 
God puts the right people in our lives at the right time. When godly people surround us, they will help guide us down the path that we should go. If someone mature in the faith tells you, "Mm, maybe that's not such a great idea, then you need to listen to them. And if all three say that, well, you better pay attention. Again, however, remember that they have to be mature believers. If you ask someone who is not mature in the faith, then they aren't going to give you the best advice. Yeah, they might help you, or they might inadvertently hurt you. Nonetheless, should we want to know what God's will is for our lives, and if he's speaking to us, we must be in deep prayer, constantly reading the Bible, and in good fellowship with one another. Well, maybe you are doing all of this. Perhaps you're doing all these things that I've discussed and are still struggling with this topic. Then I recommend listening to the following verse. 2 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 5. Examine yourselves to see whether you are in the faith. Test yourselves. Or do you not realize this about yourselves, that Jesus Christ is in you, unless indeed you fail to meet the test? Examine yourselves, Paul says. Look at your life and see if it matches up with Scripture. Are you living a godly life or falling into some kind of sin? Are you holding on to something that you need to let go of? Introspection is never fun. But again, the light of God's holy word will reveal what parts of our lives need to be cut off. Because it is better that it is cut off and thrown into the pits of hell than your whole body. A good tree does not produce bad fruit, my friends. Examine yourselves this week. And until next Friday, may the Lord bless you and keep you. God bless.